Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Troy Stories Podcast. I am here with Joshua Kandiger. How's it going? I'm good. I'm glad you're back. Yeah, it's good to be back. It's yeah. been a while. Yeah, you're one of my favorites. Got we talk about maybe the biggest game of the year for USC? I think so. It's a game that if they're going to have a bigger game, they have to win this one right. to get to that bigger game, I would, I would think. Yeah, I think I've had uh, the hot take for a couple of weeks Uh-oh. that I think USC will win this game. And you still think that? I still do. Because you probably had that take when they Before had... Before everyone started going down. Right. And I still hold to that. So I'm really interested to see how it plays out. Are you holding to that because you're stubborn or because you really believe that they're going to win? I know it's, it's <laughs> not good to go off objective, subjective things like this, but I just really have a strong gut feeling about this one. Uh-huh. I, just, I just see it happening. It has to be because they're at home. That's a huge part of it. Yeah. It's like, a big they're part. not winning in Eugene. No, they wouldn't have won this game in Eugene. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about this game. Uh, there's a lot of interesting subplots. Uh, I want to begin with Keenan Slovis, who <laughs> I feel like his game at Colorado can be viewed so many different ways. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's very polarizing. How did you feel about the way that he performed? I per- Well, to kind of go off what you just said, yeah, it's one of those things where anyone can look at it and take away and reaffirm whatever they already believed about Keaton. Uh-huh. All the criticisms that people had of him were there in that game. And yeah. the things that make people like me, big fans of him, were also there. For the most part, I think I agree. I, he showed us both you know, what he does wrong and what he can do really well at the same time. I think my biggest takeaway from the game was something that we've also seen throughout the year, each game by game, and now after we have a bigger sample size of watching him play, it's a stat that I think is worth mentioning. Keaton Slovis is a really good fourth quarter quarterback. His statistics, now with the Colorado game really boosting them also, are really good in the fourth quarter. He's averaging 70% completions. He's throwing for like 160 yards a fourth quarter. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking back to what he did in the previous ones, and he's been very productive in each one. Even the BYU one, they had yeah. to come back a little bit. And Played he, much better down the stretch. Right. He finished with an, uh, an overtime interception, but had a good or a better fourth quarter than he had had earlier in the game. The, the part about it, though, is that <laughs> that final drive could have easily not existed right. if... You know, the fumbles picked up by Colorado or if they're able to corral the interception yeah. on the, on the shovel throw. pass. Yeah, which yeah. Graham Harrell strangely blamed Keenan Christian for. Yeah, I, I, I didn't agree with that. <laughs> um, Keenan wasn't really looking. He wasn't looking. And he, that's not because he, he, like, he was not. Yeah, he got his hands on it, but he wasn't looking. It was really unexpected, I'm sure. Yeah. I doubt he. It was like a Reggie flip. Yeah, exactly. yeah, it's exactly. like, sure, like the guy like touched it, but you can't expect him to, to exactly, come yeah. away with that. It's, I don't the quarterback think it's, shouldn't I don't make think that it, Yeah, I don't think it's fair at all. It's the kind of thing that some people in the NFL I've seen. Who I've seen Lamar Jackson do it a couple yeah. weeks ago. I think Russell did it twice. 
but it's not a smart play. No, yeah, it typically will go badly. And mm-hmm. now, if Keenan were looking and Keenan wasn't like being flung backward, then I could see it happening. You know, yeah. you don't plan it, but yeah. for the moment. But in that instance, when there's so much happening, when you're going yeah. through the ground and you can't see the people <laughs> in front of you, in that specific circumstance. Yeah, and he shoved it pretty hard, where like. It, Keenan being only, what, maybe two or three feet away. Right. It's hard to just come up with that cleanly, yeah. even if you are looking for it. Anyway, uh, but they did recover. They did keep right. the ball. And I get my favorite throw, my favorite play, it wasn't the third down conversion. I, I know that that's a huge one, the one to Pittman on the outside, yeah. I guess, because they were obviously going to go for it on fourth down. Right. And therefore, take a shot, though. Yeah. But the second and 19... To Drake? To Drake over the middle? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was fantastic. That was a dime. And the catch, too. We've, yeah, we right. Have, we, yesterday during interviews, we talked to a couple people about that specific play, including Drake and Keaton. But that's that's a tough throw to make. It's a ballsy throw to make. Well, just going for it. It's second and 19, and I guess maybe the the easier thing to do, or and even the smart thing, would be to at least get half of it back. Right. Because this is coming off the fumble. That's what you always plan for yeah. when you're playing second and long. Right. And, and that would have been fine, and, but he, he had a window, and it wasn't a big one, but it was there. Yeah. And I think what he showed me is that not only does he have the nerves and, I guess, the, the guile to make that play or to attempt that play, but the arm. Yeah. It, Every that, game this that's year, a big boy throw. Every game this year, I think you have two or three throws you can point to that are like that, where you look at it and you go, that's an NFL throw. Yeah. It, for me, it's those plays that convinces me, regardless of how the coaching situation plays out moving forward and in, into 2020, I think Keaton Slovis is, is the, the USC's quarterback. He's your guy. That's what I've, I have a hard time believing that he won't win the job, you know, in whatever situation he's faced with. Yeah, I'm completely sold on it. I don't. I'm not saying that he'll be the best quarterback or anything, but he's the guy. And I think, looking at the quarterback room now, he has to be the guy going forward. Yeah, and I, I mean, some people were, were talking about that. I didn't really focus on it in anything that I wrote, but there was that dialogue going where, okay. Uh, you can say goodbye to J.K. Daniels. I mean, I kind of already thought that coming off the Stanford game. Right. But I do understand, given the way things have, like uh, played out from there to now, why people would still be wondering. But uh, as, the more, as Keaton plays and as he grows, I think we're just going to see more of this. Yeah. And, and it'll become apparent, I think, to, to J.K. if it's not already. Yeah. That he'll probably need to prepare for his next step. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. So yeah, Keenan definitely. I felt like he grew up before eyes. That's how I characterized it. Uh, did you learn anything else about him in that game? Yeah, the kind of one thing that I want to talk about when I mentioned the fourth quarter stat is every, almost every game we see him grow during games. He often starts a little, a lot slower than he does than he finishes, and you can watch him throughout the game progressively learning the defense. And in the fourth, that's I think that's what leads to him playing so well in the fourth quarter. Yeah, he said that. 
He mentioned that yesterday, yeah. To just from le- when we asked him why he plays better in the fourth quarter. Yeah. He said, you just learn during the course of the game, and I think that's what it is. But the thing is, a lot of people don't do not do that. Or it takes people a while before they learn how to adjust during a game like that. Right. And he innately knows how to adjust during a game. No, you're right. It's a good point. He, he's been so good for stretches like the second half of Notre Dame and throughout the Stanford game and then uh, in, you know, in, part, in parts of this game, Colorado, where we forget that he's 18. Yeah. I, I mean, I've forgotten I, that he's a true freshman, right? I, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, you usually don't see a guy kind of have this much on his plate this quickly. Right. Right? Because I know that he has a great receiving core, but now he's down to... Was technically the fifth string running back, right. although King is better than that. But uh, they're not going to be able to run the way that they want to, or like the way that they probably yeah. should. There's a lot more weight on his shoulders than there yeah. should be. More than I remember Barkley having to shoulder in 2009. That's kind of the the comp that I've been thinking about most. Freshman more than even, freshman. yeah, even more than than JT last year. Uh, with with JT last year. It is hard to judge. I think their offensive scheme was so masked by Yeah, it was Sam. so compromised. Yeah. Oh. No 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 the scheme. Okay. Like that they were that they were trying to win with, I think, uh, affected so much of what was happening. Yeah. Where I feel like this is probably closer to neutral. I mean it's really quarterback friendly, right? But uh, I do think that Keaton's had to take on more than Barkley did a decade ago. And and shown that he can handle it. Yeah. And that, I just I think that he doesn't have any like fatal flaw or or major weakness. Where I feel like uh, with natural progression, this kid's gonna be a great quarterback. Yeah. You know, maybe next year, maybe the following year. I don't know when it's gonna happen. Yeah. But I think just with the right coaching, the right system, uh, he can win major awards. Yeah. Yeah. That. I mean, I agree with everything you just said. Just to put it on a really basic level, I think as an 18-year-old especially, all the things that are hardest to look for in a quarterback, the things that you might want most, but you can't always rely on finding even in good college quarterbacks, being able to read a defense and learn over the course of a game, being able to make those touch throws that a lot of people just don't have the arm for, those the intangibles being having nerves of steel in the fourth quarter. These are the things that you worry about a player developing and whether or not they'll ever get to it. And we know Keaton starts with all of those. His deficiencies that still show up in every game. Sure. He at the beginning of games, especially, he takes way too long to throw the ball. He stands the and having good protection has kind of made him lax in that sense. I think. Yeah. He gets too comfortable just waiting and looking, but he does that. He makes bad decisions once in a while, etc. He's ball security is an issue for him moving around. Yes. But those are all much, much smaller concerns than the things that he already has in his tool shed taken care of. I think it's fixable. Yeah. Because, okay, now, if he were throwing a high volume of picks, which he really hasn't. I know he has a three in BYU, but around that, he hasn't had anything near that. And he hasn't been forcing a lot of passes. The ball security thing, though, in terms of the way he's carrying the ball and even holding it, getting sacked, I think it's probably fixable. Very. But it definitely needs to be addressed. I've been surprised sometimes with the staff where they've That's kind of, gone on. And yeah, they've just really missed it when we've asked about it. Yeah. They've just missed it a little bit when we've asked about it uh, at times. But it, it, 
it did come up a little bit more this week, and it is something that we saw with Sam Darnold, and right. it was a chronic issue with him in the two years that he played. So it, it doesn't necessarily go away just because you play more. It is something that I think you have to be more mindful of and that you have to work on, and I'm sure that there are things that, that will happen in that season with Keaton, but you'd like to see some of that corrected now because right. Colorado could have easily been lost, and it would have been coming out of his hands. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that also he did, I think, really show growth in, and it was the subject of my column, is that you know, the bounce-back ability, where in the past he had said that he would really dwell on a mistake for maybe an entire series or, or even longer, and it would put him in a funk. And we saw that in the Arizona game. Yeah. I think we saw that in the BYU game as well. And in this game, really the play after the bad play was typically a very good play. Yeah. We, you know, that, that happened quite a bit in this game. And, and yet USC needed all of it. Uh, but I was very impressed with that because uh, he was very open about that, about that being an issue for him. And they were, like I said, they were very fortunate. Yeah. Right? Very that, nice. win basically, that win basically felt lucky. Yeah, even though, very much and, and they took advantage of their luck. They, you know, they, right. Which they don't always do. Right. Yeah. But, but they needed luck. Without luck, they, they don't win that game. Uh, so what do you feel like uh, is, I guess, uh, an X factor for Keaton in this game with Oregon? I think this game he's going to face a lot more pressure than he's seen through a lot of this season. I don't think USC has played a lot of great pass rushes so far, and this is going to be one of the better ones against Notre Dame. That was one of the issues in the first half. There was a little more pressure than he was used to, and I think that kind of got to him. Yeah. And Oregon's going to put it on. They lead the Pac-12 in sacks. Or are they tied with USC? They're very close. I think they're one up, maybe. It's really close. But either way, he'll he'll face some pressure. And he'll have to adjust accordingly. Yeah, he didn't get that Utah game. I I thought that Pac rush would have probably bothered him a little bit. He didn't really have to play it. And then it worked out with Fink, where just the way he was playing, that they were able to counteract that pressure. Uh, And... Notre Dame is kind of the, the, the comparable experience that he has, but uh, he hasn't faced a lot. That's a really good point. Uh, now, I think you, you'd like to believe that at this point in the season, he's more comfortable checking down and being quicker and going shorter, but For some we reason, don't know that yet. It doesn't seem like he is, though. Yeah, you, you it think. It doesn't seem like he is, yeah. Right. And especially in first halves, he holds onto the ball forever. Yeah. And his offensive line has done a good job of giving him the time to be able to do that, but like I said earlier, I think he gets too comfortable in waiting knowing that he can. Yeah. I think he does need to get the ball out of him. So with this receiving core, because they're so big, you, you, can, you can kind of hit them early, but they're not the fastest out of their breaks. Right. They're not going to separate on a slant right away to give you a one-second throw. Yeah. There's not. There's a few of those guys on the roster, but so, that's not who's primarily. So this is a big game for Hamam Ross St. Brown, I feel mm-hmm. like. It, every game has like a different receiver that will be featured and right. one that will just be totally eliminated. And this is one where he has to have a big game right. for this to work out. Yeah. And I can – there's definitely an avenue for that to be – to be had. Mm. Oregon secondary is a very athletic group, but they have a lot of limitations. They bite easily on double moves. They're very, they play over aggressive at times. They can be taken advantage of. And so I think you can scheme a game, this game open for any of USC's receivers based on their 
different skill sets. It, we'll just have to see which one the coaching staff chooses to go towards. Well, that brings me to my next question. How do you anticipate USC trying to attack Oregon, knowing that they can't be a run-first offense? No. You can't. Oregon's giving up 100 yards a game. 103, I think, on the yeah. ground. I mean, they only, I mean, USC doesn't have the backs to, right. to play that way anyway. Exactly. But you, you can't not run either. <laughs> no. I think play action is going to be really important in this game because, like I said, the aggressive, over-aggressiveness at times of the Oregon defense, and especially in the secondary, that's the best way to take advantage of it. So I think they do have to make it an emphasis to set up the run. But... How are you going to balance? How much do you want to give away in the run game knowing you're not going to get the yardage that you want in order to set something else up? Yeah. It's a balance you have to figure out. So do you run more on first down to make them, I guess, to keep them honest? Or, you know, if they're they're prepared for that or if they're expecting that, then you could be in second and nine, second and 11 a lot. And and that's kind of a dangerous place. It so like, do you use the, the, a short pass game as an extension of the run game to get into like second and short? Yeah, that's a big thing. I personally, I think the down where you want to run most in this game ideally is on second down. I think you pass as much as you can on first down and then you run it on second down when you have a middling distance so that you can have a third and five if you need to afterwards. Mm-hmm. But with that being said, I think the best way to achieve that would be to use the short passing game underneath, which they've done very often this season. They really like the screen to Pittman. They throw that two or three times a game, I think. Yeah, they could probably do a little bit more. Yeah, and they have different ones, too. That We've had some running back screens, I think only one or two. But they have some stuff in the playbook. What do you think the emergence of Drake London as an inside receiver can mean in this game? One thing that I really like felt like I noticed for the first time after watching the game last week, they basically use him as a tight end. Yeah. Drake London plays as a receiving tight end. Sure. All yeah, the route flex. combinations that they have him run are tight end routes. They have him take up space in the middle of the field, box out, run the same. Yeah, That's good point. exactly what they use him for. Right. And Keaton last week, and he talked about this yesterday, really said he found comfort in having that presence so close to him down the middle of the field. And so that's a big help, I think, for him, especially when Oregon's secondary is so athletic and everything. If you can beat him underneath and get consistent yards. It's really helpful. Drake's not a big run-after-the-catch guy. He's not going to give you a ton there. He doesn't have that kind of speed. But as far as the consistent gains go, it's a really nice check-down option for him to have. Yeah. Early in the year, they were targeting him, and it seemed to to be disastrous quite a few times. And it looks like some kind of rapport has been built. Uh, I'm sure, you know, Keenan's learned him, and and Drake's probably learned kind of maybe how to position himself a little bit better uh, because a lot of those passes were getting tipped. They were getting picked off. They just weren't even close to being completed yeah. And uh, in this game. And it, it started to happen in the Arizona game, I feel like. But in this game in particular, they, they needed him. And it doesn't seem like they've kind of used him as a uh, – you know, kind of a pseudo tight end. Yeah. Because it, they haven't used their tight ends. And I know people were frustrated with that. And the only thing I can tell you is that when when you're playing Croman Hope so much, that's really not the guy that you want to target. No. That's, all, that's always going to be a check down. Otherwise, you know, Josh Follow's been banged up and, and just not really effective when he's been out there. Right. And it's unfortunate. I, I wouldn't want to be 
throwing a tight end out there every play and then never targeting him. I don't think that that's an effect. Yeah, I don't think that's good. But uh, I understand why they haven't thrown to them. But when you couple that with not really throwing to your backs very much, it makes you too one-dimensional. As good as this receiver group is, it kind of loses its punch because opponents know that that's really all they need to look at in the passing game. Yeah. There's two more phases to that that are pretty much underutilized. Yeah. And so I wonder again if uh, if maybe I mean they did throw to Keenan twice, Keenan Christian, and right. one of them he it was, it was a little bubble. He scored on it. Probably need a little bit more of that. Like that was good, and I think you probably need to build on that. And, and I don't know if that involves Quincy Junkie as well. Uh, you know, we haven't been practicing in a long time, so it's really hard for me to say where he stands as a receiver. But. I just feel like you're going to have to kind of play a few different cards in this game. I think so, too. Right? You gotta you're going to need points. Yeah. Like, that's the main thing is that if you're beating Oregon, you're probably scoring at least 30. 35, maybe 38, 40 plus to win this game. Agreed. But although I will say, how do you feel about Justin Herbert? We, I'm sure this is a different topic, but how do yeah. you feel about Justin Herbert? Well... At, at the very least, he's the best quarterback that they've faced. And and he's the best passer, most importantly, that, that they've dealt with. Uh, he's not going to threaten them in, in a run game the way that, that Montez did and the way Kyle Tate yeah. Yeah, was supposed to. Even Ian Buck, a little bit. Yeah, no, he, yeah he won the game. He finished him off running the ball. Right. Uh, so in that way, Clancy usually has a a good handle on quarterbacks like this. Yes. These are the kind of guys that, like, he can make uncomfortable, get them off their platform. Those zone blitz packages that he's really used a lot this year, this is what they're for. Yeah, I mean, in his time, especially in his second stint, he really feasted on these kind of quintessential pocket quarterbacks more often than not. Uh, But I think Herbert's throwing ability coupled with his receiving core – He's lo- losing his best receiver, too. His tight end. Yeah, okay, that, you could say that. Uh, Their leading receiver, touchdowns, catches, and yardage. Yeah, that, I mean, it's a pretty it's a pretty balanced, you know, it's not what USC's is, yeah. but uh, they're not depending on a guy, right? They could, they could lose a guy, and it's still, I think, a pretty solid, deep group. Yeah. Uh, so I feel like this is a challenge that, like it will be unique to them, just given yeah. on what they what they've dealt with this season. Uh, so, if you're asking me if like I feel like Justin Herbert is the you know the the no brainer pick for the you know number one draft pick in the NFL, no, that's not how I feel about him. But uh, he's going to go in the first round, and there are good reasons for it. And uh, I think it's going to be hard. I, I think that he he's going to probably have a good amount of success throwing the ball on them. Uh, my biggest concern, I think, in terms of USC, is really the fact that they might not have a, a great pass rush. Yeah. And if they had Drake Jackson's game, I'd probably feel much differently. But they, they don't, and they won't. And and without him, uh, they're really going to have to bring it uh, with some exotic stuff that you know may or may not be effective. Right. I think it's Christian Rector... How do you feel about him playing? He's gonna play. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he'll he'll have to be better than he was versus Notre Dame. Yeah. Uh, now pass rushing is his thing. Uh, 
And if that's what you need, then oh, then there you go. That's good. But he he hasn't been good this year. No. And he might be. He, for all we know, he's been compromised for the entire season. Yeah. You know, I don't know. He, he didn't play the BYU game, meaning he, he must have been banged up in the Stanford Early, game. Yeah. Right. And it, maybe in the, in the opener. I don't know. But we haven't seen the Christian Rector that we saw two years ago. You know, Texas game. Right, and it's been a while now, if you really think about it. Last year, there were some moments, but he wasn't really the same guy that he had been the year before. Exactly. And so a lot of this, what he looks like this week, obviously is going to be dictated by his health, which is kind of shaky. The last game that he played a couple weeks ago, he looked really, you could tell he was hurt. He could barely move. And he's not a really fast guy either. Movement skills aren't his best. They aren't his best trait, but he's more of a finesse player. And so, with that being said, this is the kind of quarterback that he would ideally have the most success against. Yeah. He's not good at chasing down moving mobile quarterbacks, but a pocket guy, this is what he can do best. When he can collapse the pocket from the outside and just crush it inside. But, depends how healthy he is. If he's better than he was a few weeks ago, I think his return actually does make a significant difference on that end. Well, here we go. He, again, Drake will be playing, is not playing... Mm-hmm. Arguably the best defensive back, best defensive lineman. Probably not even arguably. If you could pick one, if you could have one back for this game, who would you pick? Like you said earlier, it's an easy call for me. It's Drake. Yeah. I think pressure would change this game far more than anything else on defense for USC. Yeah. Drake's been their most reliable pressure creator all year. So then why do you think that they can slow down Herbert and company? I think that the secondary is still good enough. I don't. Again, I'm not really sold on Justin Herbert. I think he gets rattled sometimes, and this season it has been pretty smooth sailing for him. He hasn't really faced a ton of adversity, but a lot of what I saw last year, especially in the late stretch of Oregon season, I think he can get rattled on the road. And so hmm. I somehow I have a gut feeling that the turnout for this game will be a little more than USC's had all season thus far, and it's parents' weekend too. It will fill up a bit. I think it'll be a little loud. I think it starts getting to him, and I have a feeling that with what we talked about earlier with Clancy being able to bring pressure on a non-mobile quarterback, I think that that will get to him today. Not so, today, sorry. Yeah, this weekend. So, because he's on the road, you, that's probably partly why you were feeling good about this game to begin with yeah. for a while. Now, what about what he just did at Washington? He's a very good player. Yeah. He's a very good player, and he's really, really talented. He can light he can light anyone up on any given day, Yeah, of course. But I'm actually fairly confident in USD's cornerback rotation, and that's not something that I expected to say at the beginning of the season. No, me neither. I... But they've all developed really nicely. And they've I'm... exceeded everybody's expectations. Yeah. And I have enough faith in them that they won't get torn apart. Do you think that... We could see Chris Steele and Isaac Taylor Stewart and Elijah Griffin on the field together, or or would you want to do that? I I think I I would personally believe that that is a really good combination to go with, but I doubt that that's <laughs> what USC is going to do. <laughs> right? They've been kind my of, thoughts exactly. They've been kind of picky about how they play the nickel position yep. and how they keep their outside guys outside, and I don't think. They want to do that. Yeah. But I personally do think that would be a good idea. I think Elijah Griffin yeah. would be a really good fit in the nickel. Yeah, well, I mean, those are your top three corners. Yeah. By a good margin. 
I, I like what we've seen from Max Williams in the slot. Uh, Greg Johnson's been up and down. He's yeah. played well at times. I think but, he's played better than he did last year. Yeah, and I think he's played better lately yeah. than he played early he's in the season. He's had a lot of big plays. Yeah? Yeah, he's kind of a playmaker. Yeah. Uh, with that said, I, I really like what I'm seeing from the other three that we mentioned who are in a rotation and kind of share it pretty evenly when they're all healthy. And they haven't really been healthy in a while, but uh, I think that's the plan for them. Uh, they're two starters, but all three of them are, are basically about equal. Well, I would just play all three of them. I would think that's the best thing to do. I yeah. agree. But they, they won't. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, since you're in the you know in the spirit of predictions, what what's the score? I'll call it 35-31. You'll see. Okay. All right. Uh, I don't usually give one, but I'm going to give one. I, right, put, I put you it. on the spot. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, again, I'm picking Oregon. Right, it, it, as fun as it would be to see USC win this game, and it, I think it would kind of make their season kick it right. to another level, and they they really be, be a lot of in, hope going forward. Well, they'd be in the driver's seat yeah. for you know to go to the Pac-12 title exactly. game, and you know, and we end up in the Rose Bowl. Right, I, I love covering that game. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna say thirty-four twenty-seven. Okay. Which is kind of like the score I'm picking in almost every game. <laughs> just depending, I change the winner every week, but that's what kind of how I see this game going. You know, give or take a score on All each right. side. All yeah, right. I, I see it being a seven to ten point loss. Now, I, I would say initially I probably felt like Oregon was in the roll, but uh, just seeing USC, I know that Colorado. Probably sucks, yeah. <laughs> but but seeing it's a big deal for USC to win on the road, to to come back, to do things that they haven't done in a while, and uh, for some of their young kids to really grow up, uh, and then they they all usually play different at the Coliseum. Yeah, that's thought, that's the big thing that I'm kind of leading. It's a real thing. Yeah. I thought they were going to lose to Utah. I thought that they could totally lose to Stanford. Yeah. And they played so well, and I think it's just because they were at home. Yeah. A big part of it. It has a big effect on them for whatever reason. More than it should. But it always shows up. Somehow. But that's where they're at this weekend. So yeah. I'm expecting a good game, and I guess I wouldn't be surprised if USC won. But I'm not betting on it. We'll see. All right, Kajwar. Thank you for the time. Of course, man. Thank you for having me on. Okay, that does it for us. Thank you for listening to the Troy Stories Podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. You can find all of Tajwar's work at the Daily Trojan as well as trojansports.com. You can find mine at Sports Illustrated where I recently filed an update on the search for a new athletic director. Sounds like that could be wrapping up in the coming weeks. Be sure to check it out as well as all my daily coverage of the Trojans. Until next time.